Telepathic TV. This is television that you watch with your third eye. And I'm R. Neville Johnston. And I'm Mary Phelan, and our program is about raising our consciousness. And tonight we're going to talk about the subject of addiction from many different perspectives. Yeah. But before we get to that. Well, as always, we are very invested in creating a higher consciousness in ourselves and in subsequently the planet. And the Mayan Mayan consciousness is a very high level of uh, awareness, and today in Mayan is? Three Kimi, and Kimi is known as the world bridger, bridging the, the worlds and being able to take concepts from one reality into another reality, and today's mm -hmm. the tone of service. Yeah, and I activate in order <laughs> to equalize, which is a very interesting concept, because we are predicated from the first moment born on this planet that this is better than and this is less than and uh, it's not true everything is um, we are invested in this program in creating the higher consciousness and getting people to recognize that uh, the superstitious way of thinking the superstitious way of thinking would assign value saying this is greater and this is less but it's not a truth at all or certainly it is a level of truth that's uh, lower than the human, we humans are capable of achieving, meaning that um, oh, some book was entitled Even a Stone is a Teacher, which I think makes my point in this case very well. Oh, yeah, that's very good that As soon as you think you are better than someone, you cannot possibly be better than that someone because you think that way. Yeah, that's a good point. And so as long as we are holding it that we're better than others, we are sliding right back down the evolutionary spiral, pike, yeah. timeline. And, and it's in that, uh, by now, the old concept of, uh, or the old ideas of, of duality, where it's me and them, outside and inside, it's mm -hmm. to when we get to the place that everything outside of you is inside, and everything inside of you is outside as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's when these artificial barriers break down and we start mm -hmm. having great great spiritual epiphanies. And that's truly the step beyond the binary way in which we think. Uh, we, the human race, think very uh, bipolar. Mm -hmm. We are every human being until we've released the, that method of thought. We're bipolar. This is good, that's bad, this is good, that's bad, this is good, that's bad. That's a correct answer, but it's baseline. It's not anything, um, you know, you can say what serves you well and what is the, the, what does not serve you well, there we can go, but this is good and that's bad. No way that that's actual or authentic or thought that well, serves one, you well. well. One thing I would like to comment on, since you um, brought up the subject of good and bad, and, and it, people have asked about this on occasion too, that sometimes we, well first of all, we're going to make evaluations and say, this serves us well, this is beneficial to us. Eating this carrot is good. Eating that, I don't know, Twinkie, old Twinkie or whatever, uh, may not be good for me. Um, and each person has to make that evaluation. When we talk of, of getting out of the land of right and wrong, what we're talking about is a solid, externalized yardstick that is something that we project as a collective good and bad. Like we think that there is a, a list of things that we're supposed to measure up to. Um, 
that we're supposed to measure up to and that if we're not, then we're being bad. If we are, then we're not being bad. Do you see what I mean? Well, again. What I'm talking about is that, that right and beneficial thing that's an internalized thing. So we're still going to have our opinions, and I know, that, I, know I didn't express that very well. Perhaps I will well, later. Well, let me just factor in to understand that uh, good and bad is predicated on an absence of thinking. There's no human being that doesn't know the difference between good and bad. So can we all just accept that and move on from that? Well, where do we go when we move on from that? We move into the idea of, well, more than one correct answer. Now, as soon, the, the way in which our, our thinking just slams to a halt is when we've found the correct answer. I found the correct answer, and therefore I don't have to think anymore. And if my brain spits out the concept that I don't have to think anymore, that is inherently suspicious because, as we human beings know, there is absolutely no possibility of stopping thinking. Mm -hmm. Having been one of us who was shot to death, I will tell you that the bullets ending my physical life did not stop my thought process. So, since we're going to continue to think, but yet somehow magically we can stop thinking once we've found the correct answer, you can see how that's um, flummery, I believe, is the actual word to describe that. Or ridiculous would be another actual word to describe that. So we go on thinking. As soon as we can open our minds to the idea that there's more than one correct answer, we can actually begin to get something done around here. Because the bigotry of one correct answer well, keeps us from moving forward. Also, just... just um on the topic of what I was just speaking of, it makes it a little tricky at times because we have one group of words. And so one thing we can say, oh, this is great. I love this. These cards are great. They're good for me. I love them. But then we also saying it's good to eat your peas and bad to do that. The distinction comes from is it an internalized thing that you are making an evaluation and a measure for yourself or is it something that's fine, finely etched in a piece of granite that we are holding each other to? Now that's when the two words good take on extremely different meanings and the two words bad take on extremely different meanings. And so what we're looking to get away from is that yardstick of what we think, this, this objective reality that's not really an objective reality, it's our subjective view of an objective reality. For instance, when we're very young, we either get a smile or we get a frown. And we start basing all of our actions on whether it's going to get us a smile or a frown. And when we have that there, we start doing things for different reasons. And we create this part of us that becomes this critic so that, oh, I know my mother gets mad at me when I color on the wall. So I'm going to beat myself up before I ever color on the wall so that I don't actually color on the wall and have mom get mad at me. So we develop this inner critic within us, which is that yardstick. And that is a lot about what we're talking about on the show, is how to know the difference between your own inner voice and that voice of that inner critic that at one time was a beneficial thing to you, but that you no longer require for your happiness. Because you or have your safety, that. Yeah, because yeah. it's just not necessary. It is indeed important for us to step out of that form of superstition, of the idea that the power is outside of us, mm -hmm. that there is this concept of. 
and to step into the more advanced thinking. And so many times we said trinities. If anybody wants to call in and explain trinities, I'd be excited to hear that someone understands thinking in trinities. It's the difference between the black and white thinking known as good and evil and the thinking in full and living color <laughs> known as joy, known as breath, known as a lot of other words. So we were going to... Well, yeah, the, the topic of addiction. And I, yes. I, and I think that the, the real catalyst behind all addiction is this yardstick. Yes. And us not measuring up to something. And addiction, whatever your addiction is, is a symptom of something. It is not, oh, an addiction, this full, oh, I'm a bad person, I, I have an addiction. It is a symptom of something. And if you use that to find what that is, you can actually heal it. But mm -hmm. I know you wanted to say something before I... Uh, no, go ahead. I'll double back on it then later. Finish your thought. Well, I, I just uh, was talking about addiction. I know you had wanted to open up with okay, something before so, uh, I get further into it. Addiction is an easy thing to understand, and I will explain it at some point later in the show, as um, superstition. Addiction and superstition are synonyms. Okay, now, we human beings, by our nature, seek pleasure. It is who we are. <coughs> we human beings are pleasure seekers. As soon as you take that seeking pleasure, and you use the word habit to describe it, then it has more power than you. Although a habit can be broken, but it takes great and enormous will. Okay, if you pile even more guilt into your equation, and you then use the word addiction to describe your seeking of pleasure, it is virtually, it is not nearly as possible to free yourself from addiction because the word has more guilt saturated into it. So in order to free yourself from the behavior pattern that does not serve you, which would be thinking superstitiously, but to free yourself from this is to reinstate innocence within you, is to allow yourself to step out of the addiction and back into the pleasure seeking. Now the thing about it is, uh, we live in such an erosive um, landscape in our mind that if I were to ask you, you know, well, what's a very, very early memory of experiencing pleasure for you? And if I asked me that question, and anybody is welcome to call in, and we would love to hear what's a very early. Uh, my mother decided I was a genius. Thanks, Bob. She was right, by the way. And took me to be tutored in oils when I was everything. like, maybe eight years old to go paint oils. So uh, this is suburban, so we go to this woman's house who uh, is an artist and she has about 10 kids in the basement, the police, no wait, um, has about 10 kids in the basement and she sits in front of me a blank canvas, four or five tubes of paint, and a whole set of new brushes, okay? And then walks away to do this for the kid next to me. So I immediately unscrew the crimson, put a wad of it on the palette take the biggest brush there is, take the canvas and go, wow! Now the molecules of crimson leaving the brush and going onto the canvas to this very moment lights me up. That was an amazing moment of pleasure. Now, the woman got upset because she didn't tell me to do that, which is understandably, but I, I just couldn't language that I mean, it's, she was going to be upset. It didn't matter what, where, or when. 
you know what I'm saying, that that's who she is. And for some reason, I knew that as the small child. Mm -hmm. So I retained the pleasure memory mm -hmm. of that. And so I make money still being an artist. It's not... Well, uh, I, I think that you brought up some really interesting points. Uh, one is that when we're stopped from doing something that we love at any point in time, and we all are, we're going to be. Yes, yes. When we get stopped, it's separate. It, we become fractured. The part of us that would continue on painting that beautiful red line, and the part of us that then says, oh no, I'm not supposed to do this. And that's really what creates addiction is we yeah. have to get through that whole guilt paradigm and get exactly. onto it, and, and yeah. other things too. And I feel that we are addicted to being addicted, and that's true. We, we have all kinds of systems set up for it. We, we say it casually all the time. Oh yeah, I'm addicted to my video games. I'm addicted to this. We say it a lot. But really, I feel addictions are our natural autopilot gone out of control with the added fuel of guilt in its motor. We have an autopilot, which we call the subconscious mind, which is wonderful. We learn how to drive a car, and then we never think about it again. Remember when you first started driving, you had to think, oh, the rear view mirror, the side view mirror, the turn signals, turning the car, watching out for other cars. It was a lot to think of. And then there came the day where it was, oh, not even thinking about it. Now you can shave while you drive and text people and play with the radio. I like cutting my toenails. And pretty soon when that gets done, then yeah, you'll be laying down like with red-green. You'll make a periscope so that you can lay down and do other things while you drive. At any rate, that is something that is necessary for us. That's what made us able to evolve to the place we are at now, this wonderful autopilot that we have. What happens, though, when it is programmed with something that either no longer applies to us or never did, and it was an improper reference given to us uh, when we were influential or influencing, um, what is that word? Uh, impressionable. Impressionable. Yeah. When we're very impressionable, what it does is it creates this program that will faithfully serve you. It will do anything within its power to carry out what you have programmed into it. And, it. and and then it turns into a habit and an addiction. But if you look at it as somewhere along the line in your history, you programmed, based on your reality, you programmed your autopilot to such an extent that it's engaged in a war now. And mm -hmm. so if you go back and reprogram your subconscious mind, you will no longer be addicted because the addiction was just coming to show you the, the incorrect program that was running. And a technique by which you can reprogram this is to find that moment in your life that was the, the joy, the moment of the crimson um, expression of myself, etc. And to use that as a um, enzyme to return yourself to the, because the addiction takes all of the pleasure out of the activity, by the way. The guilt takes the, the pleasure guilt, yeah. out of the activity. So we sit here with a thousand behaviors every day, none of which does much for us because of the word addiction. And it's merely the word, or let us translate the word word into the symptom of guilt that we call addiction. So to escape from, let's say we're hooked on drugs or 
phonics or something really. That. That's As everybody was, so I thought I'd just say it. Thank so you. whatever it is we're hooked on, that's not doing much for us. You know, it's a known fact that if you're hooked on drugs, a bigger dose of the drug doesn't do much for you. It never gives you that first kick you got and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, any addiction to any form of drugs, of course, except pharmaceutical drugs, represents this slippery slope where you're never again going to have any satisfaction from whatever it was that initially gave you that joy. So then in reinstating our ability to experience joy, which is what addiction, superstitious thinking, and these behaviorisms subtract from us, then to find an original joy in your life and allow yourself to experience that will lift you out of the pit yeah, of we used to do habitual addiction. We used to do, we haven't done it in a while, and maybe it's time to bring it back out, is joy mapping, where, yes. where it, you can really change your life by doing that. And there are an assortment of ways. It's consciously creating your life. We also do something very similar. But it's to go back and say, why did I start drinking? Why did I start doing drugs to begin with? Where was it that I felt empty? And you, you have to go back and look at that. I, I'd like to talk just for a minute about the 12-step programs. Um, and this may not be a real popular view, but I'm going to speak it anyway. No, I've got Number one is I think it's an incredible thing, AA and, and various things like that. I think that they, it saves lives. It absolutely does. It gets people off, off drugs and alcohol. It creates a community, and it is wonderful, and you have a whole support group. And I don't think that when people are really in the throes of addiction, there's anything better for them than that. But years ago, I was thinking, I, it's wonderful for all of us to get to a place where we feel like we are healed, that we have accomplished something, that we've broken away from things. And I feel that that's the next step beyond that, is to declare yourself healed and that you trust yourself. And if you go back and heal the improper little blips in the subconscious radar screen, as in, I'm good enough, no, I'm not good enough. I'm good enough, no, I'm not good enough. Those kinds of fractures, like the red paint, and no, you can't do it, you have to wait for me to say it's time. Those fractures really do create this chasm that we can sometimes feel as if we're stuck in. And then we use some kind of a substance to help us get out of that. We never really get out of it, but it's a great mirror that shows us something's afoot and for us to look at. But I also think it's important for us to be able to release the past, let go of this old view of ourself, that we're not some kind of horrible person because we used to be addicted to heroin years ago. Well, and I cannot get addicted to heroin. I gave it a real shot. <laughs> it's just boring. Okay, so okay. Let, well, let, me, let me just go through the... Um, now I've forgotten what I was going to say. Oh, 12-step. 12-step. Well, Let, and then I'll finish. Okay, go ahead. No, you go ahead and finish because I'd like to make this point. Yeah, so okay. Go right That'd ahead. be great. And I, I really feel that if you've gone through a program like that, not to throw everything away, but maybe just entertain the idea that it's okay to promote yourself to wholeness and that you don't have to continually empower your, di your disempowerment. Because to me, it was the feeling of being disempowered and not strong enough to be your own creator that led to that, that condition in the beginning. Well, once and only once in this lifetime have I 
taught a class called the 13th step. And apparently that's enough, although we're about to redo at least part of that class. And in the 12 steps, you are taught to language that whatever you're addicted to is more powerful than you are. Yeah, that's my point. Which is, pardon me, laugh out loud. Funny. It just is. That's hilarious. <laughs> that uh, an inanimate object uh, like a can of beer has more power than I do. That's just funny. It, it really is. It is, and it's the forgetting and that so, that yeah. led you down there to begin with. And so that is the 13th step. I am more powerful than what I'm addicted to. I am colossally more powerful. Mm -hmm. Now, we human beings are never, under any circumstances, not even in the army when you're becoming a super soldier, are you ever taught that you're more powerful than your orders. You are never taught that you're more powerful than God. You are never taught that you're powerful, period. And you are. You are. You are extremely powerful. You are so powerful that you tell everything that happens in your life to happen. You. It's called free will. You decide everything that happens to you. If you disagree, call in. If you agree, call in. You tell everything what to be, how to be, and when to be, and there are zero exceptions to that. Although, perhaps if we raised a child with a view of this worldview, stating that they're creating it, and would you please act like it and own it? Okay. Now, the other thing is, well, yes, there's a subconscious, and there's programming in your subconscious, and that's creating stuff. Nonetheless, you're creating it, but your autopilot is creating that's it. That's what I mean. Because you of put programming, the programming, and just to um, oh, that whatever is being created in your life, it's on your side. That's the other thing we can seriously teach our children. The word for that is evolution. You do not evolve until you recognize that that's on your side. There's no capacity to evolve until you recognize that whatever just happened is on your side. <laughs> There it is. Look, no, there I it is. Something up there. I thought it was. A yeah, no. It sounds like reindeer on the roof. Yes, we will, we'll have the chimney enlarged immediately. Um, what's his name? Green I don't Street. Think we will need be here. to. It's right there. See? Yeah. Oh, came right through. Okay. So that and the fact that where you place your attention grows. That's it. That's all. If we could bring up a child knowing that at all times, they would be super duper man. They would be beyond anything we can possibly do here on this planet at this time because everybody is wandering around with crossed eyes in a haze that has nothing to do with drugs, walking into walls that have nothing to do with walls. Uh, and, and that's the group of us. And I don't care who we elect leader, and I don't care who has more money. I don't care who's alleged to be more evolved. That's who we are. That's but the planet that's Earth. That's brilliant. That's really Not that brilliant. I don't love us. Yeah, but that's brilliant. Yeah. And, and the idea, and I think this is something really important to stress, um, not to cause stress, but to stress in the conversation, and that stressed. is you are more powerful than anything that you are addicted to. The yeah. reason someone becomes addicted is somewhere along the line they had the belief that they were powerless to it. And, mm -hmm. and it seems kind of interesting that we would use that same thing to, to get us out of it. Yeah. But ultimately, to be truly free of something is to put yourself back into power over it, which is power of choice. Yes. Okay, we have a call. 
Hi, caller. What's your name? And I'll tell Michael Douglas Sr.'s story when we come back. What's your name? Hello? Hi, this is Natasha. Hi. Natasha, what can we do for you? I just was curious, like with children, ah. if, if addictions are hereditary or practice from what they see. or Oh, we teach our children to be powerless. Oh. Well, we, we teach more by modeling than, than, we, <laughs> than we know. But I, I would say that there's probably a huge contributing force from all different directions to every single thing. If you take five children sitting on a couch and somebody comes in and slips on a banana peel, four of them may laugh and, and the fifth one may say, oh my God, this is a scary world, banana peels are scary. And then they start developing a whole other thing about, about it. And if you look at, ultimately, we're all here to explore the things we came here to explore. It's all perfect. Yes. And, and so I know biologically they, they have reported that addiction is hereditary, but I think that we have all potential within us, and it's what we choose to open up or ignite. Nurture or nature, nature. has been the argument from the beginning of time. And we've said so many times on this show, more than it's choice, one really. correct answer. And it's also choice, mm -hmm. yeah. And you could take the world's greatest genius and turn him out to be absolutely nothing based on the amount of fear that you could install in that being, on, genetically, the, the great genius, and turn them into nothing. And the, the kid with the least potential turned into being there now, turned into someone that quite naturally just strolls through life, having everything happen perfectly. It is the deal. Now, Kirk, Doug, uh, Michael Douglas Sr. Oh, thanks, caller. Did, did we? Oh, yeah, thank you. Is there anything else? Oh, no, that's it. I was just curious, you know, if it's hereditary, if it's something practiced, because I always, you know, get down on my husband for not having a glass of wine in front of the kids. So. Yeah, the nurture versus nature is one of the myths that we could just evaporate like that. Well, and, and also, I think what we really are best served to do is to teach our children how to make choices and not to be pulled one direction and then have the choice start making us. The more you can show powerful choices to your children, that's what gets it. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment, too, after you're finished with yours. Yeah, the off-switch. Off go ahead and do Michael yeah. Douglas first. Uh, Michael Douglas Sr., and this is a real joke from my point of view because he started as Kirk Douglas Jr. What? Every, everyone sees how funny that is? Call in if you see how funny that is. Yeah, he was a junior and okay. now he's a senior. I didn't know that he, his name was Kirk, so I didn't know him. Kirk, Michael Douglas. Is Kirk Douglas' son, but I didn't right. know his name was Kirk. It so. wasn't. I put that in to not have to explain this. Well, then don't. Get on with your story. Very well. Okay. He played a part, but I feel he was so, and there's no such thing as playing a part, there's no such thing that is not typecasting, that's a Hollywood axiom. There's no such thing that's not typecasting. He played the part of a man that hadn't smoked in 20 years, but he kept a cigarette in his pocket at all times. And he said, every once in a while I pull that cigarette out and I say, who's stronger, you or me? Well, I'm stronger. But he kept the cigarette there to remind himself of his strength. Oh, and I think that was particularly telling as techniques of quitting smoking. Indeed. Hi, caller. What's your name, please? Hi, I'm Debbie. Debbie, what Hi, can Debbie. we do for you? 
Uh, I am trying very desperately to raise my son, uh, as you're talk, as you're speaking about, uh, to be in control and to make the decisions. And um, I'm kind of coming against a rock and a hard place. I was hoping you could help me with that. Sure, sure. What's going on? Um, well, he is becoming angry because he is coming against a teacher. Um, who is super controlling. Okay. Uh, and so so he's used to you being more flexible and teaching him his power, and now he's out there in the world and he's hit upon a brick wall of, of rigidity? Would, is that accurate? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. okay. A very right, wrong, this, you have to do it this way, you have no choice. Well, you see, I think this is perfect that he's encountering this teacher right now because this gives him an opportunity to become bigger than the teacher and bigger than a, a right wrong brick that's right in front of you mm -hmm. then you don't make that right or wrong by him being raised in the more free thinking place and then meets up with something rigid he's engaging in his first let's say real dilemma between right and wrong or the good and bad that she's wrong and I'm right and that always is going to put us in, in combat in yeah. some in some way so I would suggest to him to just expand bigger than her and one way that I've done this I know Neville had talked years ago about floating eight inches above your head but I had done that in a slightly different way prior to that is I would become so big that I could visualize both of these people being me in other words he's in class she's doing what she does or he's doing what he's doing and then your son is doing whatever, just rise up and become both of those people. How would I be feeling if I was that other person? How would I be feeling if that was me? And it helps them to not take it so personally, number one. And number two, becoming bigger than something means that you have power over how you react to that. Right now, he's feeling smaller than that, and that's why it's a problem. Yeah. Well, there's a couple games to play there. Deborah, please, uh, would you be so kind as to order a copy of, um, pardon me for saying it this way, the language codes would serve you very well in that the, the languaging of what's going on is in a, a very superstitious way and don't wish to. Hmm. I didn't notice. Go ahead. Um, so, um, generosity. The, the concept of generosity, is that an attribute of strength or an attribute of weakness? Strength. Very great strength. Enormous strength. Okay. Now, which is bigger? Uh, I'll just jump then. Your auric field or a tornado, which is bigger? Mine. Yes, very good. Which is bigger, the earth or you? Me. There you go. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. And Mary was saying, you know, the... Um, becoming bigger than this. Becoming bigger than it. That's the principle. And I always start with generosity to, to get the equation to start to unfold because uh, the superstitious mind would think that generosity was a weakness. That is the nature of the superstitious mind. Yeah, well, I think uh, she's been teaching, Debbie's been teaching her son yeah, some of yeah. these open, more free concepts. Yeah. And so it, it is an interesting dilemma because when you're, 
she's bringing up such a great point. We can raise our kids with this higher consciousness, but they're still going to go out there in the world. And how is it that we train them to understand that and deal with it without becoming that? And so thank you so much for that call because yeah, it's really excellent. brilliant. Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of mothers out there that are raising their kids more conscious all the time. Always, and, yeah. And then we have to watch our kids deal with some of those older mindsets. But that really is the key, just to know that everything, number one, comes into your life to teach you how to become bigger. And so we do it on level seven of the building. It's just our angels and guides coming to us to give us this valuable information. If we do it down here in level one where we feel like the teacher is bigger than us, then our angels will appear as demons. But they're not really. It's just the level at which you are having your divine experience. So the bigger you are, the more you expand, the higher floor you go to and you see more truly what you're really dealing with. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely excellent. Well, th and this, the language we speak in is so important. There's no question about that. I'm not refuting wasn't that at all. Wasn't saying there wasn't. Yeah, yeah. no question Just, about that. And you can get clues about how you feel about things by listening yeah. to the words. That's and definitely uh, true. But Debbie, thank you mm -hmm. uh, very much for calling. We, we so appreciate these calls. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is an important... Well, um, we were talking a little bit about the habit. I just wanted to respond to something you had mentioned earlier about how it can be extremely hard to change the subconscious mind. I, I just have a different point of view, and it's, or I, or, I believe I heard you say that. If not, I apologize, but I believe you said something to that effect that it can take a long time or something. But I just wanted to mention that that's, I've seen this, I've witnessed this thousands of times myself, that the, if you get down to the right thing, and you go at it, and you do certain things to release that, you can change everything in a split second. Just like that, change is not hard. And uh, whether you meant it or not, whatever, it's a good point for me to bring up, or whether you said that. Um, no, I didn't. If you say hard, it becomes hard. Yeah. 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 I would, okay. Yeah. Well, whatever it was, it still is a good point for me to bring up that sure. a lot of people do believe that change is really hard and that you have to go to a psychiatrist for 100 years and all that. And self discipline. We had mentioned that on another show, and I sure. did get an email about that, and I thought yeah. maybe you could share some thoughts on. But self-discipline is really, I'd like to redefine the word discipline as self-love. And yeah, that, that was the it's, point of it's that a quote. Matter, yeah. yeah, and it's a matter of being able to say no to things, meaning I'm bad, I'm going to discipline myself from not drinking this beer. Well, what I'm saying is I'm a bad person, and that beer is bigger than me. Mm -hmm. By saying no, I'm going to bring back my power of choice, then I can choose whether to drink it or not. Yeah, and that is the very definite advance ah. in the world that we would care to make. This oh, okay. is what we are talking about. You're in charge of your life. You choose everything. We are from day one taught that things are bigger than us. One of the bigger, and it is humorous to me, is the idea that we are fixed, uh, pardon me, we are, how does it work? Oh, reality is a fixed thing there, that's solid. And there's nothing we can do about reality except sort of blend into it somehow, breaking our bones to fit against it. When the truth of the matter is, we are what is, and everything else is how we tell it to be. Mm. Well, I phrased that more eloquently in my life, but nonetheless, we tell reality what it is. Could we act like that? And if you don't believe it, that's fine with me. 
uh, but the day will come when you catch on to the idea that you're telling everything what it is. You tell it what it is all the time, everywhere, all the time. We used to do a game at the New Moon ceremony in which I would ask, what was the latest surprise in your life? And then I'd ask, please, would you notice where you decided that that would happen? Now, a lot of people are not yet at the point where they have the self-love to pay attention to the thought as it manifests. In other words, if you, um, well, when we do the opening of the third eye ceremony, we go into this a lot more, but let's say you, you prick your finger on a uh, thorn on a rose, okay. At the exact moment you do the damaging of your skin, the thought that was in your head is the damaging of the skin. So that we have to remind ourselves, we train ourselves to pay attention to what's going on in reality because we are constantly telling it what to do. Mm, so if the, the moment of damaging your finger on the rose thorn was, oh, maybe I, I, this is not my rose, I'm picking it, this is, uh, you know, there's mm -hmm. a thousand thoughts yeah. that that could have been that are just plain guilt, every one of them. Mm -hmm. You cannot say you own the earth. Ask the Native Americans, that's a big time joke, you own, own the earth. If anything, the earth owns you. More than one correct answer. You, you tell everything what to do, and yet you are part of the system. More than one correct answer. If we are going to actually become an advanced, sane race, we have to know that you can have two diametrically opposed answers, both of them completely correct. Mm -hmm. And it's the one you place your attention on that manifests because that's how it works. And different things are going to be right for different circumstances. Exactly, yeah, as in two plus two is either four or you're in a ballet class. Someone got it. Yes, someone fell off a chair in the studio audience, but that would be for a tutu in case. Yeah. Yes, Desmond tutu, that specific tutu. Uh, I used to use that one for my kids. Two oh, plus really? two, yeah. Yeah. Is 22, is, two, is four, is, two, is a ballet tutu. Right, or nine minus five, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So it's which answer serves well mm -hmm. at a particular moment in it, your life. It is, it is true. Yeah. And, and it's also like the coffee cup that I use as the example it a in a lot of my classes. Coffee cup or well, that's right the point. Now, yeah, I know. That's the point. If you're on one side of the table, the, the handle's going to be on the left, and you can prove it. You can take pictures. You can have witnesses. If you're on the other side, it's on the right, and same thing. If mm -hmm. you're on the side, you may not even see the handle. And it's really important to take everybody's correct answer and make it into a larger picture within you. Yeah. And so everything is true, really, even yeah. the most untrue things. But then it gets down to, we decide what's true for us. And that's what we're saying. That mm -hmm. is the art of being a human being. And mm -hmm. no one's uh, introduced it that way. You, yeah, find a class somewhere where it's called the art of being a human being. I don't think such a thing. You can certainly find the science of being a human being. It's better known as medical school, but there's, or any number of other. But the art, not so much. And that's really all it takes is the art. Mm. Kindergarten is the art oh, of uh, yeah. just being pointed a human out. being. Kevin yeah. just pointed out kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what were we? 
doing away with a superstitious mind. Well, we were talking about self-discipline, and uh, I was asking yeah. you maybe some of your thoughts on that. I expressed some of mine. Self-discipline is our nature, mm -hmm. okay? And that doesn't mean depriving yourself of someone because of something, because self-discipline could be exactly the opposite. So um, it is the idea of your command over reality. There was a point in my life where I was um, living in D.C., and there was a place, um, I think it was Soupberg, and it was a restaurant that had just opened, and I went in and had a bowl of vegetarian soup and a slice of bread, and I said, well, I'm, I'm asking this bowl of soup to give me all the life force it can possibly give me. And it's about 5 o'clock on a particular day. And I was not hungry for 24 hours. Well, and that's my idea of self-discipline. Yeah. An, an idea, one of many. Yeah, and, and another thing that I teach in Healing from the Inside Out, Healing mm -hmm. the True Cause of Weight Gain, uh, which is a series that I'm, uh, I'm going to reinstate at some point in the near future. But one of the things I teach in there and that I found in my own life is it looks like the diet, staying on the diet makes you lose weight. But what I think it really is, is that by being able to say yes or no to eating, meaning you have a bowl of ice cream in front of you and you say no to it, that is so empowering to have that power of choice that it is that power that causes you to lose weight, not the not eating the ice cream. Was that understandable? Well, we or, have to wait till they get important. back Did from the refrigerator. Did anybody understand that? Everybody's just not even. We have to wait for them to get back okay. from the refrigerator. But, but I'm just going to say it again because it's a very important thing. Yeah, It's the please. power over saying no to something that really causes your body to get back into alignment, mm -hmm. not the self-deprecating, self-denial, what is that called, Flagging, flagellating. flagellating ourselves yeah. with a whip. That's a not what causes you to lose weight. It's the power over your own self to say yes or no. And it's not always a no. It's often a yes. I was going to work myself over with a cat of nine tails, but the cat only had one tail. So I picked up a handful of kittens, but it just wasn't the same thing. <laughs> they wouldn't cooperate, would they? They had nine tails between them, though. Yeah. One of which was a short story about knowing um, soon to be out, so to speak. So the idea of you taking command of your oh, that was another buzzword that went on there. Um, it is about being in command. It is about the recognition of command. As soon as we, the word control is, um, misnomer in the language, as soon as you have control, it's not control. <laughs> it's, it's a resistance, maybe. No, it's as not soon as you have control, then you have a laborious job that you have to maintain. Who wants to yeah, do that, really? Yeah, it's just like the difference between the word remember and the word learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, learn is a stick you beat yourself with. Control is a word you beat yourself with. Yeah. Problem is a word you beat yourself with. That's very true. All of which are listed in the language code. I think symptom rather than problem. Yeah, is exactly. Such, such a open doorway yeah. of solution and problem is such a slam shut door. And the book is very invested in getting we humans to recognize mm -hmm. the effect that the word has. There, uh, any word that's a slam shut door 
you don't even speak it or think with it because all you have done is limit. Yeah, and I would just like to add to that. You don't think in it or do it, but not in a resistant way because anything you resist, you build a wall, oh, and yeah. then it's going to have to break the wall down to get back to you. So you don't say, I'm not going to say try. Oh, no, I said try. I thought try. That really isn't the way to do it. What you do is you elevate yourself by doing mm -hmm. your own inner work, your inner healing, to a place where you don't even, it doesn't even occur to you to use those words. So they're your friends by revealing things that you can go in and heal. And that's all I have because there's quackers. Here comes the duck. There's cheese and quackers over there. He's uh, very now corny. the dangler's laughing. Okay, we have to wait just one more moment. Here we go. This is Linda. Linda. Yeah. I got Dangler play. Yay. Oh, that's good. Play and yay rhyme. I and hey. So. And if you say hey, 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 that is Hebrew for self-esteem. And okay. it's also, what did you get? I got, um, Thank you, Linda. already I forgot, efficiency. As that was efficient. You forgot right away. Yes, rather, rather than, than hanging around and waiting to forget as though there were. Um, well, everybody remember to play and remember to be efficient. And actually taking these slow routes where we're judging what we're doing and we're yeah. getting angry at ourselves all the time and there's little battles that go on in our head are not mm -hmm. efficient. They're not. And cut out the things out of your life that really aren't efficient. The warrior does not engage in anything that is not on their path. Well, and that's so very true. Just brush those things out of your way. So the and coin of the that. thought efficiency quotient, in other words, if I want to pick up this crystal but I don't pick it up, then I have to think of picking it up again. Yeah. So the thought efficiency quotient is divided by two. And so when we, we throw everything into the timeline, the word want throws it, out of this, throws it out of its creativity. Want always means the future. I want you to know that. See, now you won't know it because I didn't put it in the now. I could say, you now know this. The word want separates you from whatever it is that you are telling yourself that you want because want puts it in the future and we always want you know which puts it in the future so um, words like want and need destroy thought efficiency yeah well, you, would, you create yourself separate I, I hear what you're saying but my personal view and we all have our own points of view I think yeah. it's very powerful and I love what you're saying and I love the, the whole thing, you were the very first one to put any books out there on the language. But I think that there are contexts as well. Like if I say she wanted a broom, I'm just stating a fact uh, that she wanted a broom. Uh, but if well, I'm if saying I tense. want a million dollars and I'm yeah. putting that command out there, I think that yes, that separates me from it. Absolutely. There, we cannot resist anything even the words and it's just another point of view yes. to say that it is important to have them and to use that as our focus mm -hmm. and use that really as our rudder and our gauge for our healing and our ascension out of our old programs that keep us down in the quagmire so yeah now I'm talking about the ability to observe um, a flag associated with a word yeah I agree it's with that. very different to have it fly through your head than to speak it out loud there's a big difference. I, I understand Out what loud, you're saying. it's a command. In your I'm head, it's still in the lab. And I'd just like to say that I have a lot of words in my head that have flags associated with them. Mm -hmm. So if someone says to me, problem, I hear the word symptom I because agree. I've been 
doing this for a very long time, and that's what I. I agree with that 100%. And the book is invested in okay. getting people to change. So. Yeah. I, I just want you, would like you to know, see, he, I'm <laughs> yeah. always guilty all the time, no matter when I speak. It's so I'm easy. just saying yeah. that if I have a word come out, it, there's different levels of usage where it really is a creation thing, and those watch really more carefully. And not beat yourself up and become a word Nazi Wasn't either, because that, either. that is a resistance that's going to set up something. Too. I'm the only one that I can do anything about the way yeah. I speak. I'm it. There's nobody else. That's what I, I mean. Have to that's be what in I mean. Yeah. Of, of me. Yeah. Now, when you are first getting the language code, we have, call? We have our call. Finish, finish okay. what you're saying, and then we'll take the call. You really cannot con correct anyone more than once or twice without becoming the Nazi. So suggest that they find themselves a copy of yeah. is about but, what you're but, they, but you're right, they're flags. Use it to learn and grow. Let it be fluid and living rather than yeah. stagnant and doc doctrine-like. Okay. Yeah. Hi, caller. What's your name, please? Oh, hi, Cynthia. Cynthia. Hi, Cynthia. What can hi. we do for you? Well, I've watched you all for years, and I think you're terrific. I think you're a lovely uh, couple. You're so knowledgeable. Everything yes, you are. said tonight is so, oh, my gosh, I can so relate to it. And well, I know everyone you. watching you can. So just, just thank you thank for you. that. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you. And I, I would like a reading, if I may. Okay. Most happy to. I'm using my sparkly set tonight. Okay, the first card, I'm not sure my, which one I'm holding it to. It, this is a card where it shows a man or a woman, I'm not sure, looking down at these three cups that have spilled, and behind them are two that are standing. And funny thing, if they turn around to look at the cups that are standing, they'll see this incredible bridge over there and a castle on the other side of it. And sometimes we miss what's really there because we get fixated and stuck on what we think we have lost. And we've all been there. We've all done that. And this is a card saying, turn around, because there's something really wonderful right there. Oh. And, and the things that look like we have lost sometimes are this thing that holds the place for this larger vision, this larger, higher cause. Like, we don't eat the ice cream because we know the chocolate cake is coming, and we would much rather have that. Mm. We have to be able to make choices, and that's what I feel you're doing right now, is going into your subconscious and saying, where are my habitual responses, and let me get back to my true choices. Because the subconscious doesn't run us, and going down into your, your higher self as well. Okay. And I love this. This is one of my favorite cards in the deck, the Four of Swords. It talks about a time of rest and recuperation and regeneration and conferring with our guides and our higher self. And so it looks like you're really taking stock, like you've had some losses in your life and that you're taking stock of your life and saying, what, where would I like to make changes? And so it, in that way, it's extremely powerful, the true power. Oh, that's very good. That's so true, Every, oh. all three of them. Uh -huh. thank <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Excellent. And we have our next caller. No. Well, I'll okay. do a, a reading for someone that had written to me, Paul, if that's mm -hmm. all right. Sure. Um, and I actually remembered. I told him I may remember or I may not, um, and I did. Okay, the first card that we get is the uh, Page of Swords. One of the things that the Page of Swords has come to mean to me is writing. And I'm not sure if you're a writer or you like to write, but perhaps this is saying it's a way to get yourself uh, out there and to 
project yourself out into the world and, and uh, that you have a great talent for it as well. The Queen of Cups is the part of us that's receptive and doesn't feel like that need to get up and act and, and be real vocal, and, but yet she is still just as powerful, but just on the yin level. But sometimes we can not hold our boundaries in our, and reinforce our walls in that way, and it can make us a little bit sensitive. So use that Queen of Cups energy that's around you to get you to have more of your radiant field so that you don't have to watch those boundaries as much. The Eight of Swords, you can see someone standing there. The swords represent our thoughts, and we have land and water, so sometimes our thoughts get stuck between our heart and our head, and perhaps just make decisions and then act on them without thinking about them too much is a good idea. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. Yeah, this crystal has a rainbow at a certain point. It looked like a piece of glitter. I couldn't mm, figure yeah, out that what that was. That one is getting so much clearer. Yeah, over the years. And we mm. have our next caller, perhaps? No. Okay. Oh, okay. So, what are we doing? I'm doing the final episode at um, Sticks and Stones oh, in this series. I'm taking people into the um, uh, world can beyond they, life. Can they join that? Yes, someone could if you uh, okay. are in the Okay, well you can call sticks, sticks and Stones then. I didn't yeah. know. I just mm -hmm. want to let people know that. Yeah, we decided open. to open it up. But I will be also at Sticks and Stones on Friday teaching psychic development where we're going to talk about mm -hmm. clairaudience, clairvoyance, mm -hmm. and guides. Is and that stuff. a system of classes? Yes, but you can take them individually. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing an intuitive tarot uh, for readers and counselors. If you have ever wanted to venture into the area of giving readings to people, this would be the class for you. We have stuff um, to help you develop your own inner inner self because all good readers must do their inner work or everything's going to be clogged, <laughs> clouded rather, with a clogged filter. Well, so this is, is a, a good class for that. And then um, we're going to the Serpent Mound June 10th through 13th. And we would love to have you join us. It's a great time. It's casual. We go out there. We are going to do Sikkim initiations. We're going to do some uh, ceremonies. Uh, you get a, a vibrational tune-up there, a bunch of stuff. Go read yeah, about it on the web. Volunteers will be participating in some very advanced <coughs> crystal work. Yes, we're going to do advanced crystal gridding, and you get to lay in a, a grid. grid a crib. <laughs> lay one out, too. <laughs> on the mound. Activation of um, all kinds Mapping of... Mapping your future. Yeah, we've Releasing had... Uh, your emotional past. We've had so, over the years, the, the ground of the serpent mound is so sacred that people come back and we, the next length of time is this steady upgrade from the experience of even having gone there. Yeah, I, I wrote my tribute to the Serpent Mount. It was a poem, and yeah. I read it with some music in the background. It's somewhere on our website, maybe under the audio mm -hmm. section. I really encourage, encourage you to listen to that because there's something that happens when we go there, and we're going to be doing Sikkim initiations, and if you're at level eight, we've got a wonderful ascension level for you. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just really a wonderful thing. We're going to have a healing circle with a Native American medicine man and lots of fun stuff. Yeah, send the email. Get in touch with us on that. And we're about to be at Ruby Tuesdays. If you are out and about and would like to join us in Fairfax Snorkel, I believe it's pronounced. And um, if you can figure that out, you deserve to be there. And for there. people that are outside of the Fairfax Circle area, it's really Fairfax Circle. <laughs> people in Finland are probably saying, that's an odd name for a city. Okay. No, it's just a this restaurant 
So it was our joy Roll and the, honor to take you to the door. Roll and remember, you're more powerful than any of your addictions, whether it's to spending, to talking on your cell phone too much. Don't even use the word in your vocabulary. Or habit, and recognize yourself as creating. Recognize yourself as creating all this instead of going, oh, the universe must have had the idea that I was supposed to have two packets of sugar because when I reached for one, I picked up two. Therefore, the universe wants me to do this. Newman. Do you remember Newman? Newman. 